Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I am Dory Shafrir. And we're not experts, okay? <laughs> we're not. We're two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. And you can visit our website, forever35podcast.com, for links to everything we mentioned on the show. Our Instagram is forever35podcast, and we can be found on Facebook uh, groups. At Forever 35, where the password is serums. What? What did I just say? I don't know. <laughs> we can be found on Facebook. We have a group. Yes. It's called the Forever 35 Facebook group, and the password is serums. Um, That is all true. You can also shop our favorite products at shopmy.us slash forever35. Uh, our lovely project manager, Sammy, has put together a fun spreadsheet of the most popular products that people have bought. So stay tuned for more on that. It was interesting. It was not what I would have guessed. I think a lot of it is connected to our newsletter, actually. But still. Like the, the number one thing was a shirt. Kate, you just gave it away. Oh, no. Spoiler alert. But I didn't say what shirt. Okay, that's fair. Speaking of the newsletter where we have great prod recommendations. You can subscribe to that at forever35podcast.com slash newsletter. You can call or text us at 781-591-0390. And you can email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com. All right. Last bit of biz, baby. We are doing a live show online. You are all welcome to attend. It's Wednesday, February 22nd at 5 p.m., Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Tickets are $10. You can get them at moment.co slash forever35. We're also hosting an after party immediately after the show. We had a question about how long everything is going to be. So the show will be about an hour and the after party will be about 30 minutes. Um, and if you can't make it to the show live, you can get a ticket and you can catch the recorded version for up to a week after. All of this is true. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't lie. It'd be really weird if we were like <laughs> punked. It would be very strange. And, you know, we're going to have some this exclusive merch I'm really excited about. We finalized it a week, a week or two ago with um, Brooke 
from Balance Bound, and it's really cool. It's really fun. We've got a guest. We've got a special guest. We've got a game. There's so much happening. We're going to answer your questions. We're really, really looking forward to it. We are. There's costumes. I I won't say anymore. There are costumes? Yes, Kate. You and I will, well, for the after party. You mean we're in an outfit? Yes, we're in costume. I mean, we're not like dressed up like (laughs) bunny rabbits we are like no but we're dressed up like heightened versions of ourselves yes that is a great way to put it anyway you can you can see all of that in more moment.co slash forever 35 a mere ten dollars it's gonna be fun um kate yo talk to me about this big shift that you've had all right well first of all if you're listening to this on Wednesday, February 15th, and you live in New York, I just got to give one final plug to come see me at Strand Books tonight. Link in show notes, but I'll be there talking about romance. And I mentioned that because I'm writing another book. And you know what, actually, something that our guest today kind of talked about, it really resonated with kind of where I've been in this book writing process of like, accepting that we might fail and, um, kind of reevaluating what that looks like and like kind of grappling with our own ego because, you know, so Mm -hmm. much of, I think, I think anything that we do professionally, creatively, whatever, there's so much ego wrapped up into it. And this project I've been working on has been really a real challenge for me for a long, long time in ways that I just don't even fully understand slash, you know, I think everything can be chalked up to the fact that we've been living in a pandemic for three fucking years. Um, So it's not like, you know, it's not like life is without massive stress and challenges. But but anyway, I kind of turned a corner on it finally um, on this manuscript that I've been working on and I've rewritten a bunch of times and I have really been in, like there have been some real moments of self-doubt Uh, like real dark some dark some i've been in some dark caverns and caves with this Mm. with this project and i don't know like a week ago it turned a corner and now i'm like so emotionally attached to the characters and now i'm like very emotionally attached to it and i'm like really kind of loving it and it feels like something that i i almost think i could be proud of and that feels wild because there's been a lot of shame in the fact that like i haven't really been able to kind of get this going in the way I wanted. So I don't know. Uh, This is a lot of like shit I'm going to talk about in therapy tomorrow, but it just has felt revelatory in the last week to really, I think, I think I'm the kind of person who gives up when on things when I find them hard Mm -hmm. and I can't do that. that. Yeah. This is my job. Like I, 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 and not only that I want to do this, like I love it, but I am, in times of my life, um, often, and I see this in one of my kids, like if something is doesn't come easily to me immediately, I like to stop because it's uncomfortable, right? Like it's uncomfortable mm. when something is continuously hard or you're quote continuously not good at it or it's not what you want it to be. And I also think sometimes like, you know, we have to sit with the fact that sometimes our the stuff we make is bad. And I think it's really easy to 
for people to respond and be like, oh, don't say that. Like, I'm sure it's great. Blah, blah, blah. Like, like, no, sometimes part of part of making stuff is making bad shit, you know? Doesn't mean that it doesn't have value or worth, but like that's just part of this whole process. And so anyway, I have given up quickly before in my life. And mm. to not do that is really uncomfortable for me to have to keep sitting with something and stick with it and keep, you know, emptying the puzzle pieces out and trying to put it back together again is really, it's really hard for me. And so I am, I, I feel like I'm learning a lot about myself through the process of writing this current um, manuscript that I've been working on. And right now I'm happy to report I'm feeling a lot of love toward it. I'm glad that it all sort of, it sounds like it all just sort of like clicked for you. Yeah. Which is like, maddening about the the process but also like such an important reminder right like things do require so much building and rebuilding and restructuring and rewriting all the things it's a lot it's it's such a fucking journey yeah i don't want to go on these journeys but i do i do want to be on the journeys it's hard on a lighter note dory a journey that i do need to stop being on is the journey of seeing a TikTok advertising a product, even though the person's like, this isn't an ad. I just am not going to gatekeep this thing. And then me being like, I've got to get this thing. And then impulsively buying the thing just because of one TikTok that kind of creates this sense of urgency. Did you and I have this conversation on the podcast or like over text or I don't I feel like we talked about this whole convention of saying, like, I'm not going to gatekeep this. I don't know where we talked about it, but it's been coming up for me a lot because I'm hearing it more and more in videos in either Instagrams or videos or where, uh, that I watch on TikTok. It's, and I, it's, an it's a interesting tool. It's a marketing of, tool. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of psychological trick, I think. Because it's saying, like, here's this thing that is like kind of secret mm-hmm. and like maybe exclusive mm-hmm. that I know about. And like maybe in the past I would have wanted to keep it a secret, but I'm not like that anymore. <laughs> well, it's kind of like, I'm a good person. So I'm yes. going to let you all in on this. I'm going to let you all in on this and also use my affiliate link. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And also like, I'm going to go viral. And yeah. Buy- yeah. I mean, and look like it should Which be noted. Which is fine. Like, yeah, Which is we, fine. We, we have affiliate links, you and I as podcasters. Like we're, totally. we're cogs in the wheel here. That's yes. not a thing anybody but says. It's just, but yeah. It's just funny but, that that has become like the, yes. the convention. Well, right. And, and I think when you see somebody say that, you're immediately like, oh, or at least I am. Like it works on me. It works on me in a flash. Like I watched this video. This person was like, I was stopped three times today in Los Angeles because of the scent I'm wearing. I'm not, because we girlies don't gatekeep on here. I'm going to tell you what it is. And I was like, oh my God, I fucking need this scent. I didn't even know what it smelled like. I literally just clicked and bought it. I mean, this is like my impulse control problem. And oh, here's the story. There's the end of the story. I don't like how it smells. I don't like it. Oh. It's not for me. So now I have this perfume I spent money on. I don't know. You know, God damn it. God damn it. I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you want suggestions or do you just want to kind of vent? 
No, I just want to kind of vent because it was, it was like, it was a reminder of like, Hey, Hey girl, like slow down. Mm. I think there's this feeling of like, if I miss out now, I'm never going to get it. Oh, interesting. You know, there's, there's like, it's like the kind of scarcity mindset that again, is just all behind. Yes. Like our economic systems. And so it just was, it was just a good check on myself to just be like, Hey, take a breath. Take a beat. Take, Take a pause. A beat. Yeah. Yep. Seriously. Need a, yep. need a need a pause. So anyway, yep. that's what yep. that's where I'm going on. Tell us about uh, what's happening in your neck of the woods. <laughs> Again, sometimes I quote the Today Show from 1985. Hey, that's fine. We all do what we have to do. Um. So you know, I've talked to, I've talked a bunch about how I am sort of gradually trying to downsize, and part of that downsizing. It's like simultaneously trying to buy fewer things, mm-hmm. which, you know, I also find challenging. And then also getting rid of the things that, let's just say, no longer serve me. And I'd been, I'd done this quite a bit for clothing. I hadn't really tackled my shoes. And I recently decided to tackle my shoes and I made some like pretty, ruthless choices like there are shoes that i was like these are so pretty i love these and then i was like i last wore these in 2018 (laughs) you know what i mean Mm -hmm. (laughs) or like my feet got bigger after pregnancy and i still had shoes from pre-pregnancy that i was like these still fit sure Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) but like they Mm -hmm. didn't actually fit my feet got about half a size bigger and and I think also I'm wearing just sort of like different styles of shoes. Like I just don't wear uncomfortable shoes anymore, period. Like right, right. Not, that I, not that I used to wear like super uncomfortable shoes, but I would wear shoes that like, you know, my toes were kind of smushed together or like a heel that was like maybe a little higher than I should have been wearing for comfort's sake or whatever. And I was just like, I gotta, I gotta get rid of these shoes. So I sold a bunch of them, sold some in like a local Facebook group that I'm in. I sold some of them on my Instagram. I also just want to put in a plug for my secondhand clothing Instagram, which is Dory's Closet. I post infrequently, but when I post, I post in like batches. So I won't post for like five months and then I'll post like 15 things. (laughs) Yeah, when you post, you post. You go all I, in. Yeah, when I post, I post. Um, and that's also really fun because I, you know, I love, I love the idea of my clothes and my shoes having like a second life somewhere. Yeah, and I so prefer. I think I've said this before. I so prefer selling stuff or giving it away to an individual person than donating it somewhere where you know I don't know where it's going to end up. Like we've. Yeah. We've had those conversations. We've all done that reading about how so much of the stuff we donate at like a Goodwill or other places like that actually just like ends up in a landfill. And um, I just don't want to be part of that. So I really do try to get rid of everything that I don't want anymore um, on my own. So that's what I've been doing. And I have to tell you, when I look at my closet now with my shoes, it's very calming to me. 
because Good. historically it was just like a jumbled pile. <laughs> I'm so they glad they didn't fit. Yeah. And I didn't wear a lot of them. So this just feels good. So I just wanted to share that. And if you're a size nine and a half or 10, check out my answer. Actually, I should say between nine and 10 because my a lot of my pre-pregnancy shoes were like nine, nine and a half. And now I'm usually a nine and a half, 10. Well, you so. really threw me for a loop because you got rid of one of my favorite pairs of your shoes and you posted it and I was, I was outraged. I wasn't the, I wasn't helpful. I was like, "How no, how dare you?" Yeah, I mean the th- I know which pair you're talking about. The thing about that pair is so my also my right foot is probably like a quarter size bigger than my left foot. Mm. And the toe of my right foot was like hitting the edge of the of the shoe. Ow. And I've so kind good. of like been in denial about it, and then I was like every time I wore them, I was like, "You know what? This just isn't comfortable." Yeah, that's no good. So I'm going to let them go. That's it. That's the story. <laughs> well, I I honor you. Thank you, Kate. Thank you so much. I, I do. I I think it's I think it's ultimately <laughs> a good it's totally a good thing and it it's a necessary thing and it really does feel so much better when that it happens. It does. It it yeah. really really does. So, anyway, I'm just gonna miss those shoes. Is all I'm saying. They were so cute on you, but I know it's I know it's their time. They're going to it a better place. It was their time. It was their time. They they are. They're going to a better place. That is that is true. That is accurate. That is accurate. Well, <sighs> Dory, why don't we introduce our guest on today's episode? Um, because we just had a really fascinating fascinating conversation that we think is going to resonate with a lot of listeners. Mm-hmm. We spoke with Pooja Lakshman. Pooja is a board certified psychiatrist. So excuse me, I should have said Dr. Pooja Lakshman. Uh, she's a New York Times contributor. She is a leading voice at the intersection of mental health and gender focused on helping women and people from marginalized communities escape the tyranny of self-care which is all at the heart of her new book, Real Self-Care. It's out March 15th. It's fantastic. Uh, there's so much that we get into with her. And it's also also want to note that she founded Gemma, which is a physician-led women's mental health education platform that centers impact and equity. And she also has an active private practice. I mean, yeah. Uh, She's amazing. And she speaks from experience. You know, she talks about kind of her own journey going down this rabbit hole of wellness culture and getting very sucked into it and and mm-hmm. how she kind of came out on the other side um, and what her understanding uh, of wellness actually actually is. Uh, yeah. and, and real self-care is just, it's an excellent book, Dorian. I really both got a lot out of it. We did. All right. Well, we're, we're going to take a short break and then we will be right back with Pooja. I am the first to admit that gift giving is not easy for everyone. It's taken me a long time to become like a halfway decent gift giver. But 
what I have learned is that the best way to win the gift giving game is to gift memories. Ooh. And you know how you do that, Kate? I'm I'm ready. I'm listening. The Aura digital Mm -hmm. frame Mm -hmm. preloaded with decades of family photos. We have gifted this to many people. And when you gift this, your family will love looking back on childhood memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating the frame with new photos. So it's really the gift that keeps on giving. It's super easy to set up. It takes literally two minutes. You download the app. You set up the Wi-Fi. Boom. Boom. You're good to go. Yep. We have given this to my parents. We've given Mm -hmm. this to Matt's parents. Mm -hmm. Same, same. It's so easy because you can add photos from the app like anytime you want. And also like my brother has the app so he can add photos from his family. My sister has the app so she can add photos. My parents also have it. So they also add their own photos. That is one of the coolest parts I think of the Aura Frame is that everybody can contribute. Yes. I love that about uh, we have two aura frames in our house i have Ooh. one in my office and yeah and one in our family room and do my they kids have, love it do they have the same pictures on them no they have different pictures <gasps> Ooh, mm-hmm. oh that's interesting maybe i should get one from my office I'm looking at a picture of my in, children right now right interesting mm-hmm. hmm. putting that away for later store that Yes. Uh, The Aura app lets you share photos more securely than with email, which is what many other digital frames require. And also, then you're not taking up your email storage. So, win-win. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Forever 35 listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code forever35 at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. You know, one thing I think is really kind of interesting about skin, my skin, but all skin, is that like what it needs now in my 40s is not what I needed in my 30s. Totally. Definitely not what I needed in my 20s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, how are you supposed to know what your skin needs. It's hard. It's hard to know. Especially when there's just like so many products out there. The overwhelm is real. It's a struggle to even know how to get the results you want, what products to start with. This is why we're super excited to partner with Apostrophe. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed medications that are clinically proven to help. I have used Apostrophe I love it. They will pair you with a board-certified dermatologist who literally creates a personalized treatment plan for your skin. I have done this a few times now. It is so easy to do their online consultation. You upload photos. And like within a few weeks, I had done the consultation and received my treatment plan and my product. Amazing. And that is how I became a Tretinoin gal. I love the tretinoin that they sent me. I love their sunscreen. Both products have been amazing on my skin. And you, Forever 35 listeners, can get a special deal from Apostrophe. You can get your first visit for only $5. That's at apostrophe.com slash forever35 when you use our code forever35. Now that is a savings of $15. I like that. This code is only available to Forever 35 listeners. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash forever35 and click 
get started. And then use our code forever35 at sign up and you will get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, look, I don't know about you, but when I hold on to some negative feelings, it really starts to impact my day to day. I get a little snippy and short with the people in my life. Things start to really feel overwhelming. And look, it's just generally not great for me or for the people that I am interacting with. And I do find that my time in therapy is a real safe space to get those things off my chest and figure out how to work on and work through things that are weighing on me Mm. or maybe weighing on you. For example, like I have actually really been working on mindfulness in therapy. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Easier said than done, but that's the work, right? Like just learning about kind of like really creating a breathing practice and paying attention to my physical body and my feelings. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and to learn productive coping skills. If you're thinking about trying therapy, try BetterHelp. It's convenient and accessible anywhere because it is 100% online. All it takes to get started is filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you're not vibing with the therapist, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash forever35 today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash forever35. I think it's safe to say that we have suffered through bras. We've been uncomfortable in them. We've devoted whole episodes to finding good ones. But I'm here to say enough is enough. 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 I mean, Dory, have I ever told you? Have I ever told you what I did in college when I needed a bra to wear with a fancy dress? What? I cut the top of pantyhose and then I duct taped that to my chest. Oh. Sounds uncomfortable. Because <laughs> I, I didn't have honey love when I was in college. No. Well, we are here to say no more being uncomfortable. With no. Honey, no. With Honey Love's bras, you will wonder why it took so long to make something so comfortable and so supportive. There's no underwire, but through some kind of wonderful magic, they managed to not sacrifice lift. All while making it in a fabric that's so comfortable, you barely know it's there. Especially the crossover bra. I wear one of these almost every day. I'm wearing one right now because it's so comfortable and it easily fits into my life. But if you like a breathable and versatile legging, Honey Love has you covered on that front too. Plus, they have tanks, shapewear, and their V-bra that has molded cups still without the underwire to keep you from getting that dreaded uniboob effect other more relaxed bras tend to give you. So treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After your purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we send you. Treat yourself to Honeylove because you deserve it. Pooja, welcome to Forever 35. We're thrilled to have you here because your book really captures, I think, a lot of what we grapple with on our show. So we're very excited to dig in. I am so, so excited to be here. So you might get a kick out of this. We like to start every interview with our guests by asking 
about a self-care practice that they have in their own life. And we always kind of give the caveat of like, this can be anything, just whatever you consider self-care. And your book is titled Real Self-Care. So obviously, you've given us a lot to think about after reading it. But we would love to know, like, what is what does a self-care practice look like for you in your own day-to-day life? Yes. So I will say that this question is one that I get asked all the time. And I have to be a total psychiatrist about it and uh, provide a question (laughs) as my answer. I love it. Okay. As opposed to, because the whole premise of real self-care is that there's not one thing, right? That real self-care actually is an internal process. It's a way of being. It's not something that you just check off your list. It's not just something that you do. So, you know, my answer is that I have been, you know, in psychoanalysis for almost eight years now um, (laughs) and have been, you know, on the couch in my own therapy. um, And that for me, real self-care is really about how I have designed my whole life. Um, And along with that is kind of another really important premise of the book, which is that privilege, right? That we really can't talk about self-care without also talking about the choices that are available to us as women and as, you know, individuals. Um, So, you know, I think the first thing that comes to mind as we're here chatting for, um, for the show is like the fact that, I'm able to be here is because I have childcare right now, um, for my eight month old son. Um, and I have a partner who is great and does all of the cooking so that I can focus all, all of my energy or so much of my energy on this book launch, right? And that I'm able to, I'm my own boss. I have a private practice. So I schedule my own patients. And so I, um, I'm the one that's in control of my schedule so I can fit all of these things in. So that autonomy and that flexibility um, is self-care for me. And then back it up, you know, 10 years, five to 10 years before I had all of this in place was making those intentional decisions and seeing what was possible with the resources that I had to have things set up this way. So that's my very long-winded answer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's I think a, that's a that's a good go way of kind of segueing into talking about your book, which, you know, I think Kate and I both got a lot out of and are really eager to hear you kind of expand on some of the things that you discuss. But for the benefit of our listeners who have most likely not had a chance to read the book, could you kind of briefly describe it and also how you came to write it? Yeah, so the book is called Real Self-Care. Uh, a transformative program for redefining wellness, crystals, cleanses, and bubble baths not included. And that sub sub subtitle wow. was very much that was my agent actually who came up with that because we were like, you know, it's like a very prescriptive book. There's lots of solutions, there's lots of exercises and questions, but fundamentally, this book really is a critique of wellness and a critique of what has been sold to us, in particular as women. Um, So the thesis, if I had to kind of, you know, give a a quick synopsis, um, 
is that real self-care is not a product. It's not something that you just buy or something that you can do and check off the list. Real self-care is an internal process. It consists of invisible, difficult decisions that we all know and understand, but that are very hard. Things like setting boundaries is the first principle. Learning how to talk to yourself with compassion, which I will say as somebody who typically rolls their eyes at compassion, um, that's a tough one, right? And then getting really clear on what your values are. Um, so I, I have a tool in the book that's called the Real Self-Care Compass, which is really about like understanding that as a society, we are, are much too productivity driven and goal focused. And instead, we need to pull back and really get clear on like, what are my priorities? What's the most important thing to me? And then the last principle is um, recognizing that this is actually power. And the reason that I say power is because, um, you know, there's a whole chapter in the book called The Game is Rigged, uh, talking about all of the different systems of oppression that we live in, whether that's white supremacy, whether that's toxic capitalism, whether that is, um, you know, all the different isms. There's like a million isms that we can talk about, patriarchy. Um, but the fact that our social structures are the source of the problem. And then we internalize that and then we feel bad. And then we're sold, you know, like a pretty branded um, Instagram ad of, um, you know, vitamins that are supposed to fix our anxiety when in fact, actually the problem is all of these terrible systems. So anyway, the last principle is that we have to stay hopeful. Like we have to understand mm. that our power is in our choices, one. And two, if you're somebody who does have privileges, like, you know, for example, me, like I had the choice to leave full-time academics, start a private practice, take a pay cut while I was building my um, practice because I have a partner who has health insurance. So I could be on his health insurance, right? Like all these financial decisions. If you have extra, then your responsibility, like with power comes responsibility. We need to be pouring that in to women of color, to black women, to indigenous women, to marginalized groups that need more support. Um, so this is, you know, it's, it's a social justice message, but I think the other piece of it that's really important is I think like, especially in the lens or the land social media landscape that we're all in right now, where it's like, Oh God, we all know that like wellness is crap. We all know that capitalism is soul sucking. It's so easy to just feel like totally despairing about the fact that our world is terrible um, and like climate change is unchecked and like there's nothing that we can do about it. And so this book is actually, I'm a psychiatrist. I, I take care of patients. Like I work very much on the individual level. So it's like I'm helping, helping, you know, folks as readers, just like I do in my practice with like bringing it back to your very personal, like micro decisions and getting clear on what they mean to you. Um, and then my reason for writing it is probably one of the most interesting parts of the book. Um, so I'm a psychiatrist. I specialize in women's mental health. So I take care of patients who are struggling with things like postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, things like that. But, um, you know, about a decade ago in uh, 2012, at that point, I was um, a, a, a young psychiatry resident. Um, I was in my late 20s. I had just gone through you know, undergrad, med school, residency. I was a, 
a good Indian girl, you know, my, my dad is a physician. It was sort of always assumed that I would be sort of on the straight and narrow. And I got to residency and I was burnt out. Um, mm. And I just was really disillusioned with psychiatry because it was sort of like, you know, folks would come into the ER and it would be somebody who's homeless, you know, or, or um, unhoused. And the like we were taught, okay, you prescribe medication or you do psychotherapy, but obviously, and those are the place for those interventions. But obviously, this person needs housing, they don't need Zoloft, right? But we weren't taught, like, what is the solution for that? How do you even yeah. deal with that? Or like the woman who, you know, lost childcare for the fourth time in a month and is getting fired from her job. You know, again, like Zoloft isn't going to fix that. Um, so I was... Um, very rageful. I dropped out. I left. I moved into a commune in San Francisco and, and not just any commune, but a commune that was focused on female orgasm. Um, my Indian parents were really happy with me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, and then I got divorced. Um, and, and, um, I spent two years with this group and I actually worked at the Rutgers, um, fMRI imaging lab where we put, people in fMRI machines and looked at their brains while they were having orgasms. And wow. it was, um, it was a really transformative period of my, of, of my life. But ultimately by the end of it, uh, of those two years, I realized that even in kind of like the woo woo complementary spiritual space, there's just as many hypocrisies and contradictions as there are in mainstream medicine. And ultimately I realized I couldn't escape my problems. Like I couldn't just destroy my life and then like pick up a new one and then be like, Oh, everything's great now. Um, and that's, that's really like the message of real self care. Like all of this work actually has to come from us. There's not actually an external solution. And I, like so many women fell, um, was seduced by the idea that, contentment, fulfillment, happiness lived outside of me and that I just had to do the right thing, just do the right practice, find the right spiritual group, follow the right guru. And if I did that, then it would come. Um, and ultimately, you know, many years later, I found out there was media reports that the story, story inside this group was actually really dark. Um, and it's, it's a cult, which is like even hard for me to say that now, like, you know, and, and I've been, in therapy for years since leaving, I was very depressed after I left and, you know, had to contend with too the fact that I was a doctor and I was with them for two years and like deep in, in their Kool-Aid and, um, talking about their practices because I really believed it. It had helped me. Um, but really writing this book for me is sort of like a culmination of the past 10 years of like asking myself hard questions of like, okay, um, we're searching for something, right? Like we're searching for meaning, I think, especially for not only for moms, but I do think motherhood in America really brings this sort of like existential identity crisis. Mm -hmm. So we're searching and we're looking outside of ourselves. And I think I'm trying to model as I talk about this compassion for myself that I found myself in, in, um, very unlikely places. I learned a lot. Um, but, you know, when I left that group, I was still a doctor. Um, I could come back to a life and a career that I had built. 
I could crash at my parents' house. You know, I had resources. There were people who left that group and, and they were psychotic or they were homeless, right? So again, it, it does come back to privilege too and the choices that are available to you. So, so that's kind of the personal, um, that's the personal story behind real self-care. Hmm. That's extremely personal. And it, and it sounds like, oh, I, I don't want to assume, but a lot of, you know, kind of your own personal reflection and healing inspired you to write this book. It did. It absolutely did. Um, it's, um, you know, in the book, I'm talking about patients and my practice and stories, but I'm also sharing my own deeply, you know, painful, messy missteps. Um, and, uh, it was important to me also when we're talking about like self help as kind of like a genre. I know you guys, you know, this is applicable to your show. Like, it's like, it's so easy for somebody up on their high horse, whether it's a therapist or, you know, an influencer or, or a physician to kind of be like, well, this, this is what you should do. Here are the rules. Here are the things to follow. And I um, wanted to take a risk to be honest and vulnerable about my own journey, trying to find wellness and, and meaning. And also, also to acknowledge, like, it's not like it's done either. I'm still grappling with it. Like at every, and and that's the thing with real self care. It's not something you can't just be like, Oh, I exercised today. Done. Checked it off the list. Yeah. Um, not that I'm not to knock exercise, like exercise is great, you know, but it's like, it's something deeper and it's not, um, like with every new transition in your life, you will have to come to understand again for yourself, what are my values here? What is most important to me? And even with writing this book and and speaking about it now, like I'm again coming to like, what is my real self-care process? Like I want to show up as I'm talking to you guys. Yes, I'm Dr. Lakshman. I'm a psychiatrist, but like I'm also a human who fell for wellness and had a complicated relationship with it. And, um, and there was a lot that I learned. And like, I was also deeply heartbroken by the fact that this group wasn't what I thought it was. Um, kind of holding that both and. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask, uh, you You start off in the book describing kind of this idea of faux self-care and the tyranny of self-care. And these are two phrases that really just stuck out for me and are things that that we've kind of talked about and how we we grapple with our participation in some of these things. Can you can you share with our audience kind of what you view them as, what they promise versus what they actually give us or really don't give us? Yeah, absolutely. Um so I'll give an example of something that I hear in my practice all the time, which is, you know, a patient comes in, usually a mom, and she's like, you know, Dr. Lakshman, um, I'm so stressed out. I'm not eating well. I'm not sleeping well. I don't have time to exercise. And I feel like it's my fault because mm-hmm. I have this meditation app on my phone that I know I should be using. Um, and I know that I really should get to yoga, but I just cannot bring myself to. And any spare moment that I have where I'm not taking care of somebody else, I usually just end up spending it doom scrolling. Instagram, uh, and then feeling, (laughs) feeling guilty. (laughs) 
Um, and I, that's what I call the tyranny of self-care or faux self-care, right? Because it's, um, you are completely buckling under the weight of whether it's like the mental load, the lack of support from a social level, whether it's like childcare or like whatever's going on in terms of your family life and the support that you have, you are totally underwater from that. But faux self-care as an industry and a commodity makes it seem like it's your personal choice and a moral judgment on you as to whether or not you meditate or whether or not you, um, you know, use a bullet journal or, you know, whether you um, do the new fancy exercise, whatever the thing is, right? Um, essential oils, like, right? There's yeah. like a million it's, different things. It's endless. It's endless. The offerings it's are endless. endless. The en- offerings are endless. Um, they're everywhere that you go. And, you know, one of the things, one of my favorite chapters in the book, part, chapter two, I talk about sort of the faux self-care. And I dig a little bit deeper into the psychological reasons that women turn to these different solutions. So one of the reasons is escape, right? Just the idea of like getting away from it all, because especially mm. for women, it's like you're just surround, you're constantly just under this decision fatigue, right? And there's no discretionary time, right? So in order to have any time and space to actually feel your feelings, you need to get away. So that's, you know, the person that goes on the retreats or, you know, even just like to go get a mani-pedi. Um, but the problem is those things don't actually do anything to change the larger systems that are causing us to need self-care in the first place. Um, one of the other kind of faux self-care methodologies that I talk about is actually, um, like efficiency and productivity. So the life hacks. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. So like the things like the meal delivery kits, um, you know, even yeah, like things like bullet journals, like the stuff that you feel like is helping you be more efficient. But, you know, I have patients who will come in and they're like, you know, I'm doing all these things to optimize my time, but I feel like I am managing my family as opposed to actually being part of my family. Um, I think if you like query most women of a certain age, like, like, I think like, I feel like it would be nearly a hundred percent that would answer yes to that um, question. Um, so again, these, these faux self care quote unquote solutions are still keeping us wrapped up in these systems, whether that system is capitalism, whether the system is, you know, um, patriarchal, whatever it is, right. We're still operating in the same way. Um, can I, one of the, can I yeah. just ask a follow-up question to that? Yeah. Like, I guess what I'm struggling with is, isn't it asking a lot of everyone to just feel like they constantly need to be changing systems instead of just getting a mani-pedi. Yes. Yes, it is. And that actually is in the book. I have kind of the sections that's like, sounds great, but, (laughs) and that's (laughs) one of the specific questions. Like it's such a burden, right? To kind of constantly feel bad and guilty and ashamed that you should be doing more. And so my answer to that is that our job is not like one person can't change the system, right? Y- my job, my goal is not to make you feel 
ashamed for a treat yourself manicure. Um, my the way that I see my role is to help you think differently about how you spend your time. So I'll give you another example. Um, and what I often say is that one person's yoga class could be real self-care and another person's yoga class could be totally performative. And what I mean is that if you realize that yoga is something that aligns with your values, because let's say, for example, it helps you feel connected to your body, it helps you feel really strong, you like, it helps you, you know, kind of get into your senses. So if in order to go to your yoga class once a week, you have a hard conversation with your partner about how labor is um, uh, divided in the household, if you treat yourself kindly during yoga, um, if you go through that internal process, then yoga, I would count that yoga class as real self-care versus another person who doesn't do any of that internal work but goes to yoga and spends the whole time worried about whether they can hold a headstand and like taking a selfie and making sure that they're wearing the right Lululemon outfit. Like I would call that faux self-care. So again, like it's less about whether you're doing the right thing or like categorizing the things. And it's more about, are you taking that internal process beforehand to figure out what your real self-care sort of solution is. And the other thing I'll say on that is in the book, I differentiate between principles and tools. So all of these different activities um, are tools, um, which a tool is something that is highly specific for your current circumstances. Whereas principles, so the things that I'm talking about as real self-care, so setting the boundaries, doing the internal work, principles they don't give you an answer, but there's something that you can pr uh, apply over a wide range of situations. Um, and the reason that I think this is important is because I see this in my practice with women who say, you know, the things that I used to be able to have the time to do when I was in my 20s or my 30s, like I don't have time anymore. Like I, I, I don't have an hour to get a massage, right? And then I feel bad that I'm not able to make that time. And that's like, oh no, that's because you're trying to apply this tool that worked at a different season of your life, but you need to go back to the principles and figure out what the new thing is. And I can't tell you, right, what that mm. new thing is. It's different for everybody. Um, it might be, it might be your Peloton. It might be, um, it might be bullet journaling, right? But it's like, you have to get there from the right place. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. I mean, that really resonates. Something that Kate and I've been talking a lot about with regards to like fitness and exercise and redefining our relationships to fitness and exercise and why we do it and how we do it. And it's, yeah, it's all like really interesting to think about. And I was also thinking about, you know, feels like a lot of what you're talking about in terms of the tenets of real self-care are, and I think you're, this is what you're kind of alluding to also is like, it's about dismantling white supremacy, right? Like, you know, things like perfectionism, the cult of productivity. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, as we kind of embark on these journeys to become more self-aware, what are the aspects of white supremacy that we should be conscious of um, as we're, you know, kind of learning all these new things and trying to change? 
Yeah. Um, that's a hard, that's a hard one. And I think like the way that I, I'll just give you my framework and I don't, I'm not somebody who is an expert at white supremacy or, you know, race training or things like that, but this is how I think of it just from what I've learned from other folks, um, that I've read and, and specifically with my co-founder at Gemma, Dr. Callie Cyrus, who is also a psychiatrist and focuses on, um, the dynamics of dis- difference and identity and race. So, I, for me, um, thinking about white supremacy goes back to um, sort of the extractive model of slavery and sort of where an entire ecosystem is built on uh, a group of oppressors extracting value from people who are oppressed. And I think you can use that sort of um, template for so many different systems in our culture right now. Um, the other thing that I'll say is I'm, I've currently been reading Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast. Oh, um, so from, good. You know, I'm very late to it. I'm so, so late to yeah, the book. Better um, late than never, right? Like we all, we all, <laughs> like you said, there's a lot going on. Yeah, right. And, and it's interesting for me because, you know, my parents are immigrants from India and mm-hmm. I spent a lot of my, um, childhood, like summers every other year in Bangalore growing up. Yeah. And so obviously the caste system in India and, you know, kind of colorism and, um, like there's so much there from the, uh, South Asian context. But to think about like racism as a caste system and like people in our society who, um, are higher caste or lower caste. And then just kind of, again, like with real self care, like the goal isn't to like yell at you or shame you. Like that's the last thing that I want to do. The goal is to more like open space up to like ask yourself questions and think about the, the decisions that you're making in different ways. And so even like right now as as we're talking and i'm thinking about you know kind of like oh like you know my my son's in daycare most of the um uh folks who work at his daycare are women of color um you know uh childcare workers are um terribly underpaid right um and just like recognizing that that's like i'm operating in this caste system too right mm-hmm. as a woman mm-hmm. of color right with certain privileges So, and, and then I think maybe getting to that point is like, um, the first step is having these conversations, like bringing them out, whether it's on your text threads with friends, um, you know, in your social circles, it's what we're trying to do at Gemma, which is, um, the women's mental health digital education platform that I founded with Callie. Like we're trying to bring together these different groups of women and, it's centered on mental health, but our kind of thesis is that you have to also be talking about identity when you're talking about mental health. Um, and there's not like an easy answer to it. I think in the same way that we're talking about wellness and like, okay, the system is the problem. Um, but the solutions take time. Mm-hmm it's a process of like being uncomfortable with uncertainty and like not immediately jumping to, okay, well, um, you know, I donated money to like this candidate. So like I, I did something and now I don't need to do anything else mm. for like a year. Right. Like it's like actually the thing that's more helpful is having these types of conversations. Um, mm. 
I mean, it's still obviously helpful to donate. (laughs) 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 Because again, like coming to both ends, like, right, we still live in a capitalist society, right? So it's like, you can't. and, And the other thing that I like to also mention is that like, and because of capitalism, I could found Gemma, right? Right, right. Um, so like, again, you know, I think both and is really useful and like acknowledging our contradictions and our, um, disclosures and vulnerabilities and just like being transparent about this stuff. Um, I think that's part of the work of real self care too. So we're just going to take a short break and we will be right back. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Okay, we're back. Can we circle back just because I you mentioned how you discuss um, efficiency being pushed as self-care. And, you know, you kind of quote, you or you reference, you know, like in the mid-aughts, like when Lean In was coming out and... Um, the CEO of Yahoo, Marissa, Marissa Mayer, am I getting her name right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. talking about how you could just do everything if you just kind of optimized your time correctly. And this has really felt like it's been pushed on women. Um, and, uh, you know, as we talk about a lot on the podcast, like, this is actually like, it's, it's impossible, right? Because of the systems that you're talking about, you know, we have no paid child care, you know, we have no paid child leave in the United States. We have no child care system. Like it's just a, it's a disaster. Um, how, how do we push back on this idea? Because I think so much, and part of this is, excuse my rambling, but capitalism and the U S specifically, like the idea that the individual can just, can make the change without ever kind of acknowledging the systems that we're all trapped in. So specifically to this idea of efficiency as self-care, this is one that I really get stuck on myself. What are some steps that you see that people can take to kind of push back on this narrative? That was a very long, rambly question, but I'm still kind of working it out on my head because this is something I get really sucked into. 
Yeah. Um, first, I will say that I'm so glad that you asked this question because it's something that I totally struggle with too. Um, it's, it's a really tough one because it's embedded everywhere and it's like a moral imperative, I think too, of, um, the more efficient that you are with time, the more that you produce, the more that you get done, um, you know, just the better person that you are. Um, I'm thinking for a second here, uh, please, (laughs) um, So what I have found to work for myself is approaching this, um, approaching the addiction to productivity as a process of mindfulness in that you are constantly bringing your attention back to Oh, I'm doing it again. You know, mm. like, oh, you know, I didn't eat lunch today because I'm doing emails. Like, whoop, I did it again. Um, and you know, like in, in mindfulness, um, the whole, uh, philosophy is structured around the fact that the point of attention is where you're growing and learning. So it's okay if your mind wanders, you just bring it back. So same with this kind of breaking the cycle of addiction to productivity. You're gonna, you're always going to fall back. You're always going to fall back. Yeah. Mm. You know, while I was going through IVF while I was writing this book and I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't be like a complete hypocrite and burn out while I'm doing IVF and writing a book called Real Self Care. Like <laughs> that would be the worst possible thing, right? So I had to like keep, like I was totally late on my deadlines. You know, I was fell off my schedule and like, and it was so hard. So the other thing that I would say is like, you know, a lot of what Brene Brown says, which is like, you have to take a risk. Like you have to be willing to take a risk to let yourself fall behind. And like, I think there's the ego there too. Like, you know, being okay with like, you're going to disappoint people. You're not going to live up to your expectations. I think you have to reframe that for yourself as a win. Um, And the other thing that I'll say is that I think I, what is grounding for me and is grounding in the conversations that I have with my patients is again, coming back to quality over quantity. Like when you're doing too much and when your entire life feels like a project management project, project management project, that is a sign to you that you have gotten away from your values. Right. And that you need to recenter and ask yourself again, like, what is your reasoning? Like, what, why are you doing the things that you're doing? And then you probably need to clear some house. Um, and, and you'll have, like, I have to do that like every three months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, because I've, I'm somebody who is addicted to productivity, full disclosure. Mm. I don't know if you can write a book and not be that way, but you have to keep like, right? You guys know this. Yeah. Um, So yes. (laughs) You know, Pooja, I I loved what you had to say in the book about boundaries as self-care. And I know you kind of go through this in the book, but just for the benefit of our conversation, um, could you talk a little bit about how that works in practice? And then what do we do with friends or family who do not respect our boundaries? Mm. Yes. Um, boundaries are, I think, one of the hardest pieces of this 
real self-care framework. That's why it's the first thing because it's, it's where you have to start. Um, and it's kind of the, the skill and the tool that takes the most, um, mental fortitude. Um, so I, um, I learned from a supervisor when I was um, just starting out on the faculty at George Washington University. Um, I, she took me out to lunch when I just started and was like, Pooja, um, you know, you just want to give you a piece of advice. You don't have to answer your phone. Uh, and for me, that was like a very weird thing because I had just gone through my medical residency where you had these pagers. People are listening and probably like, what is a pager? You know, it's like the beeper <laughs> thing. And like as a doctor, it's like you're always supposed to answer your pages. You have to call back right away. And my mentor, um, she was just like, no, you don't have to answer your phone. You can let it go to voicemail and then you can listen and then you can decide how to respond. And um, the reason that I use this is sort of like the intro to boundaries because it was because it really kind of clarified for me that your boundary is in your pause. It's in that wait time, Mm. the wait time before you answer a question, before you respond to an email before you, um, you know, respond to your kids, right? It's like you take that time to collect yourself and then you decide. And your decision can be yes, it can be no, or it can be to negotiate. And I draw attention to negotiate too, because I think a lot of times we use that word in like, you know, business, you know, corporate America, but actually like all of what we're doing in our personal lives and our relationship, interpersonal relationships is negotiating right? Soft negotiating in terms of like what works, what is our schedule like, who's going to do this, who's going to do that, right? Mm -hmm. And I think coming back to that, the thread we were just talking about, about efficiency and productivity, I think for women, we we just want to get it done. So it's easier to skip the step of negotiation and just be like, okay, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to get the answer. I know that if it's on my plate or his plate or whatever. And so part of the boundaries then, again, is like being okay in that in-between space of waiting, Mm. of having to actually ask for what you want, wait for the other person to get back to you, tell you if it works. Like, it's like a pain in the butt. It's such (laughs) a pain in the butt. But like, that's the only, we have to do it, right? Um. I can't remember. You asked me another question about boundaries and I totally lost the thread. Oh, I just... um. I was asking, you know, kind of what do we do with friends oh, or family who do? don't respect right. our boundaries? Yes. Um, I love this question. It's like one of my favorite questions because it's literally the question that everybody has. And the way that I think about it is that there's two parallel processes going on when you're setting boundaries with family. The first is the very um, outcome goal oriented. I need to communicate. I need to communicate what do I want? What is my request? Right? Like I just need to get the communication out. And that is the thing that most of the time when we're talking about boundaries, that's what you see a lot of, you know, um, advice about, Mm -hmm, right. mm -hmm. Um, but there's this whole other, um, almost shadow process that's going on. That's all of the feelings that come when you set the boundaries. And of course, if it is somebody in your family, because of course our family relationships are the most fraught because like, I'm a psychiatrist, like that's the scene of the crime, right? Um, of course, when you tell somebody in your family, like, hey, I'm not going to be able to show up for dinner next week and you've never set a boundary before, they're going to be pissed. They're going to be right. annoyed. They're going to try and push for, you know, 
you're, they're going to push up against your boundary. And where I see people get stuck the most is that they're expecting their family member to then take care of their feelings and say, mm. oh, it's okay. I totally understand. But no, like you're never going to get caretaking from the person that you're set- setting boundaries with. You have to go somewhere else. You have to go to a therapist. You have to go to another friend. Like you have to go to a third party mm. who can then be your support person for all those hard feelings. But you can't have both things happening in the same person that you're trying to set the boundary with. Oof. And one last follow-up point on this, because again, I think it's such an important conversation. The psychological skill that we're coming back to there is trusting that the relationship can withstand this tension, mm. right? Again, it's like being patient, like recognizing mm, like, yeah. okay, I voiced this, I exerted this. This person might be a little bit annoyed with me, but they'll come around, right? Our relationship is strong enough. I'm a good person. They're a good person. Like we will get through this. It might take a couple days, right? And, and you will, you will find that there's some relationships that can't withstand this. And that's right. when, you yeah. know, the work comes in of like being able to let go of those relationships. Oof. It's not, so, it's not easy. <laughs> no, but there is so much good usable advice and solutions in this book, which is yeah. what I really appreciate because you do really kind of look at wellness with a critical eye and through a critical lens, but then you also offer a, a pathway of, of kind of exploring and making changes in, in one's own life. It's, it's, it's great. It's really, really helpful. Well, I really appreciate that. Um, because it's funny, when I first wrote the book proposal, it was a very problem oriented book, it was very much like takedown of wellness, like shaky fist, you know. Um, but then when I actually started writing the manuscript, what came out was very prescriptive and tool focused and solution focused. And I realized it was because when I was writing, it felt like I was talking to my patients. And, and that was sort of what naturally, um, kind of came out. And then I felt a little bit self-conscious because I was just like, Oh God, do I really want to write a self-help book? Crap. Mm. (laughs) But I think that there's, you know, I appreciate you saying that because I think there is a space for acknowledging like these are hard changes. Like we're not saying that this stuff is easy, but there is a path to doing it differently. And like it can start wherever you are. You know, I think, um, I think like in your late thirties and, you know, in your mid forties, like, is it actually a really like unique time for women in that it's like a space where you really often get to redefine your relationship with yourself. And it's, I think it's the perfect opportunity to be able to sort of ask yourself different questions. Like instead of just like staying focused on this treadmill of productivity or efficiency, like what if you opened up to ask yourself things that you'd never thought about before? Um, and, 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 and then on that note, you know, sometimes I will have people say like, well, that's kind of scary because what if I got an answer back that I don't like? Yeah. 
Uh, and that that's where I have a little bit of cred because I can say like, look, you don't need to quit your job and get divorced and join a cult because like that doesn't work. I've done that. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, like you don't have to, you don't have to do anything drastic. Again, like this is all about conversation. Like you could get something back that feels scary and like, fine, you sit with it, like sit with it for a couple months. Right. Um, like really this is like a process of just like growing and learning and, and coming to understand your relationship with yourself. Oh, well, I think that's a, like a beautiful note to end on. Um, so thank you so much for this conversation. I mean, I feel like we could talk to you. I mean, I will speak selfishly for myself. I could talk to you for like a few more hours, but we will let you go. Um, and could you just let our listeners know where they can find you if they want to kind of follow along with your work and see what yeah. else you're up to? Absolutely. So um, I am Dr. Pooja Lakshman. I am on Instagram at Pooja Lakshman. And the book is called Real Self Care. You can get it at all the bookstores and all the places that you buy books. Um, and my company is called Gemma. Uh, we are a physician-led women's mental health platform. And we have a weekly newsletter uh, that's called Ther Therapy, Therapy Takeaway. So you can find us there too. Very cool. Well, thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. <sighs> she was she was like one of those guests where I think it's also when people are in the mental health field, mm. you just like want to talk to them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Um, so I really, I really like talking to her and I, I, I wish we could have talked to her for longer, but one of the things I really appreciated in her book, uh, I, I meant to mention this in our interview and I don't think I, I got to it, but you know, she talks about kind of this world of, you know, like faux self-care and what that looks like. And then she does address the question of like, but what if I enjoy this? And like, what if I like it? And I want to do yeah. this, and which is something that yeah. I often grapple with. And I, I, yeah. I think she took a really kind of fair and balanced approach to examining our participation in wellness, why we do it, what it really symbolizes, and mm -hmm. kind of how how we can make mm -hmm. a shift to genuinely improve on our own self-care as well as like the community self-care the self-care of others. I just, I really, I really appreciated what she had to say. Yes. I'm a hundred percent with you there. So tell me Dory about last week's intention of quote tennis, because you did text me with a little tennis update. Okay. So this is very interesting. Remember my whole thing about how I had like gone to my class and it had been canceled, but I oh, didn't yes. know. Sorry, what? I said, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. I didn't know. And I was like annoyed and embarrassed and frustrated and just like wondering if I was going to get to play again because it didn't seem like people were signing up for this class, whatever. So that was the whole background. And then on Friday, I get an email or actually, no, the day before, Thursday, like Thursday night, I get an email that I've been registered for the like advanced intermediate class. And I was like, oh, well, they must not have had enough signups. And so they just, they, they did what they should have done, you know, the previous time and they put, they put me in the other class. So 
I was like excited that I was getting going to get to play, but also like a little nervous because I hadn't played with these people in a few weeks and, you know, they were like the advanced class. And you know what? It was fine. It was totally fine. Yay. Good. And I went up to the coach afterwards and I was like, am I good to like be in this class? Like, can I stay in the intermediate three or would you prefer that I, you know, just do intermediate two? And he was like, oh, no, you can be in this class. Yeah, of course. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, look at that. So it sounds like there was a little bit of like, um, not like it, it made you feel better. Yes. Yes. I feel like I don't have to be constantly proving myself and that like Good. every every stroke, if it's like if I don't make it that, you know, I'm going to be banished. And then I was also right. like, you know, I started because I think my tendency is to just like focus on myself and be like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. I miss that. I miss that. I miss that. So I started just like paying a little bit more attention to everyone else. And I was like, okay. Oh, they all miss things all the time too. Yes, Dory. <laughs> you're being, you're hard on yourself. Yes, Kate, we know this. I know, I know. But like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's so good. It's so great when you have those moments of like, oh, wait a second. Yes, totally. I've been holding myself up to standards that like nobody else is at either. Totally, totally, totally. So that is my tennis update. Um, this well week, done. well done. Pr- thank you. This week, pretty straightforward. I now I have like a pile of shoes that either like didn't sell or I didn't, you know, I need to kind of give away and I need to get rid of those. They're out of my closet, but they're just like in my office and I need to figure out what I'm doing with them. So that okay. is my that is my intention for this week. What about you? How is Sun Sama going? I I like it. I'm still using it. Um Okay, that's good. I kind of seem to have th- you know, I use Google Calendar, Asana, and now Sun Sama. Th- these have kind of been like the three tools I'm using to just stay on top of stuff. You know, if I don't it's interesting having coming out of this conversation we were just having about like efficiency and productivity and all these things. And I, I try to be reflective, like with these organizing tools um, on if that's why I'm using them. But also, as you know, Dory, with the way that my brain works, if I don't have stuff written down and organized, I won't remember it. I won't do it. And so Mm. um, it is really important for me to have that managed as best I can um, for my own mental health. So it's going well. I'm, I'm sticking with it for another week before I pay for it. I have like another little bit of a free trial left before I decide if I want to actually pay. Um, so I will keep you posted on if I end up spending money on this product. Please do. Um, and then, you know, I'm in the middle of a very big kind of product, clean out, skincare toss, realistic skincare practice items reorganization. Um, Ooh, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have started this and I am now just kind of putting into my medicine cabinet only what I need and use and leaving everything else out. And it's very bare bones. Um, 
So I just need to kind of finish this clean out. Okay. Well, this is exciting. I will give you an update on the the skincare lineup as I get a little bit farther down the road. But yeah, Please we're having do. some big changes over here. Mm-hmm. Big changes. All I mean, right. not that big. More just like I'm using La Roche-Posay. <laughs> Pretty exciting. <laughs> and lots of Vanna cream uh, on my face. Lots of Vanna cream. Um, well, Kate, this has been a pleasure as always. And just a reminder mm-hmm. that Forever 35 is hosted and produced by me, Dori Shafrir, and you, Kate Spencer, and produced and edited by Sam Junio. Sammy Reed is our project manager. Our network partner is Acast. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.